Hello, my name is Chris Rawlinson, founder of 42 Courses, and welcome to another episode of the 42 Courses podcast. This week, we're chatting to the wonderful Richard Shotton. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Choice Factory, and also uh, helps author one of our best-selling courses, the Behavioral Science for Brands course. Um, also, if you want to follow the most incredible Twitter account, he's worth following there too. His handle is at rshotton. Anyway, with Richard, uh, he started his career as a media planner about 18 years ago, uh, working on big accounts such as Coke and Lexus, and he managed to transition into running his own behavioural science business consultancy called Astrogen. So in this episode, Richard shares how he made the transition from ad man to behavioural scientist, as well as sharing how you can easily run behavioural experiments yourselves. Uh, We also talk about some general tips, and he shares some handy books that you got to read. Anyway, I'll let you get on, but I hope you enjoy it. Super incredibly happy, over the moon, delighted, honoured to have uh, Sir Lord Captain, my Captain Richard Shotton in the room with us today. Welcome, Richard. Hey, good to see you, Chris. How's things? (laughs) Very well, thanks, very well, thanks. Hope, hope all is well with you. If you, you can't see Richard, unfortunately, but he has got um, a board <laughs> with, full of very uh, technical looking maths equations behind him. So uh, I'm yeah, like lucky you can't see me. I haven't, I haven't cut my hair in like nine months. <laughs> I'm looking slightly so, bedraggled. Anyone in the UK cut their hair in, in the last few months? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the reason why I wanted to have Richard here today is not only is he um, just an amazingly lovely chap in as a person, um, but also he obviously uh, wrote a, a behavioral science course with us, uh, which is still one of our best sellers. So thank you very much. You're amazing. Um, and uh, I just think um, in that field, he's done some very interesting things and probably one of the few people who didn't have formal training in, in, as a behavioral scientist, but actually um, is now doing it as, as sort of their main day to day job. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just thought maybe start off just share share maybe your your journey of how you made it. So I know lots of people listening uh, uh, want to have your job. So. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds quite sounds quite ominous. Uh, well, bizarrely, I think most things in life that you become interested in, it, it's just a, a, a gradual drift. You can't really pinpoint a specific moment. But for me, with behavioural science, uh, there was a very specific moment. Uh, it was back in about 2004, I think, and I was working with the blood service, the NHS uh, campaign, trying to encourage people to donate blood. And it was around the time of the annual planning, and I happened to read a book called The Tipping Point. It's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. And about three quarters of the way through that book, there is a probably only a paragraph or so, but it's a paragraph, a description about some experiments by two 1960s psychologists called Latinay and Darley. And they ran a number of experiments in which they came up with an idea, a slightly controversial idea, called the bystander effect. It's the idea that if you make a appeal for help, uh, the more people you ask, the less likely any single individual is to help you. So I read about this experiment, and I was only reading this, you know, not really anything to do with work, just. Uh, out of interest, general interest. I read this book and I thought, well, wait a second, that experiment could be applied to the campaign that we're doing at the moment. You know, at, the, uh, at that time, blood service were going out and asking everyone to donate blood. 
Okay. Blood stops low in the UK, please donate blood. And I thought, well, that's that's wrong, according to these two psychologists. That will be um, encouraging the bystander effect because it's asking everyone. So went and spoke to the, the creative agency. I was working at a media planning agency at the time called Zenith. Went and spoke to the creative agency and a wonderful planner down there called Charlie Snow and said, well, why don't we test this idea? Why don't we you know, uh, run messages that are much more tailored to individual towns and cities, try and make people feel they've got a uh, individual responsibility to donate? So they did a small test around that idea. And a couple of weeks later, we get the results come back. And we saw that there was a you know, improvement, I don't know what it was, 10, 15% in terms of the cost response when the messages were tailored to individual towns or, or cities to try and get around this, this problem of the bystander effect. So, so for me, that was a you know, complete revelation that there, was, there were these experiments from academia that you could take very, you know, it's quite a crude, very simple application, but you could apply them to your marketing and they would have uh, positive results. And I'd imagine so, 10% in, across a nation is a huge number. It may sound like a small percentage, but- Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. And you know, that you know, that was a tiny little test and it you know, probably made you know, bugger all difference to the NHS in, in, in the scope of things. But for me, it was more the proof of concept, however small the this topic could be useful. Because I, I think the agencies that I worked at the time were very dismissive of, I think, academia and you know, uh, certainly psychology. I mean, it just wasn't thought, no one really talked about it. No one, no one suggested this was a place you'd go and find ideas. So I felt like you know, I'd stumbled upon this treasure trove of um, uh, ideas and then spent the next few years immersing myself in this topic, you know, realising that there wasn't just a couple of ideas, there were literally thousands of these experiments all that could be applied to, to marketing. And I tried to kind of uh, fit them into whatever project I was I was working on. Yeah, what were some of the, because I mean, I guess one of the most difficult things to do often when you're working at a company is if you've got something new, is how do you actually get it through without pulling loads of budget? And I think if I remember rightly, you did some really fun experiments where you, you kind of worked with the system to, yeah, yes. to get stuff done. Uh, yeah. So, so when after a few years, um, I switched jobs, same company, but I looked after the, the, the insight department, the research department, and we wanted a bit of a, a fresh start with that department. So we rejigged it around two broad concepts, applying behavioral science, trying to make everything we did based off those principles. And then secondly, encouraging everyone, not just the researchers, but all the, the planners in the agency to be running their own experiments. So we had this idea, we call it like fast and frugal experiments. And what's fascinating is that there are these thousands of experiments run by psychologists, all of the, the methodology, their approaches in the public domain. So it's very simple just to take their experiments and then rerun them, uh, amongst a slightly different, more relevant target audience, tweak the campaign, tweak the experiment. So it's not um, addressing an academic issue, it's addressing a, a commercial one. And those types of things were, were, were super simple uh, and, and easy to do. Uh, you know, we did all sorts of experiments. We did, um, we serve people beers, you know, sometimes in plastic glasses, sometimes in fancy glasses, you know, getting them to rate how much they like them, showed the power of uh, the serve. 
we did a really fun experiment where we were interested in the the brand image of a of a clothing retailer. Um, good, I'm trying to remember who it was now. I think I think it I think it was New Look. That's right, it was New Look, um, and the we, we thought that when they launched they were launching a menswear brand that blokes might be a little bit put off from buying a brand that was mainly associated with with female clothes now when we did it when we when we had this idea the client wasn't particularly interested in you know, funding it nor were uh, the the management team at, at zenith so we had no budget so we went out and recruited from the agency half a dozen blokes and we took photos of them, two photos, exactly the same pose. But one time they had a new look bag, one time they had a top man bag. So just a you know, plastic bag emblazoned with the, the brand logos. Uh, top man was new looks kind of main competitor. We put those images up on a, a dating site. I think it was called Badoo, it used to be hot or not. Uh, and the great thing about this dating site was people would go onto the site, see other people's photos, and they rated how good looking they were from a scale of zero to 10. So we put these photos up of the blokes in two different variants, and then we just waited until the results came back. And we saw that uh, after about two weeks, the blokes were seen as much better looking when they were holding the top man bags than when they were holding the, the new look bags. So our pitch to the client was look you know this isn't as they had been briefing it just a small campaign just tell people that you've got a menswear range and uh, people have come flocking this is a bigger problem uh, there's all sorts of negative brand images around your, your product you need to be spending far far more to, to o- overturn those uh, and that those type of experiments the great thing was that you know that cost probably we went and bought I think some stuff from New Look and Top Man's, we got the bags, it might have cost us 20 quid. Um, and it really opened my eyes to the fact that you don't need huge research budgets. Now, you don't have to spend 10,000 pounds on a product, a project. Now, you can come up, if you've got a single interesting hypothesis, you can quickly design an experiment uh, and it doesn't have to cost much at all. And much better if it's cheap, because then you end up doing these experiments you know, every, every, single, every single week. No, it's incredible. I um, and I, I, I love the fact. There's two things I love about that story that 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 are just sort of as side facts. I love the way that it's so nice to see sort of media agencies really going out of the way to to put in the extra detail. So, bravo. And secondly, which I don't think we do, which is another one. So, secondly, I don't think we see media agencies chatting to normal advertising agencies enough at all i think there was a time in in sort of i think it was the early 10s or late 90s they started to sort of separate media from ad agencies and i i understand from a financial standpoint why they do that but it seems like it's not helped anyone from a collaboration uh getting stuff done uh in a smart way uh side of things and and the other thing i would that, that you've mentioned was the lack of anyone knowing anything about psychology and in agencies as well, which is so strange because in the sort of 50s and 60s, it seems like, I mean, you're, you're like me, I think you read a lot of advertising books. It seems like there were a lot of kind of psychologists who, who worked in advertising agencies. And then at some stage they must have, I think it, from what I can read, it sounds like it became, they just thought it became a lot of it kind of common sense. And so they just- Yeah, sort of I mean, on, on, on that, um, 
because you're absolutely right back in the uh, 1950s uh, there were world-class psychologists associated with ad, ad agencies people like Louis Chesky and uh, Ernest Dichter were involved in a lot of um, big marketing campaigns and you know even when I started in uh, I think it was two year 2000 when I started I'm sure there were lots of people interested in psychology just not at the agencies I, I'd been in I mean they're probably you know, patchy pockets um, but what I think what happened was back in I think 1957 or 1967, Vance Packard wrote a book called The Hidden Persuaders. And it's still the best-selling book, I think, around advertising ever. Might be worth checking that, but I think it's the best-selling book on advertising ever. And within that book, he reports on a um, psychologist or a uh, guy called James Vickery, who, who had, had been running subliminal advertising experiments. Vickery told, and told's the key word, told Packard, uh, uh, Packard that he'd run an experiment at a cinema where they had fired up messages in between the um, uh, the, the film like for a, a millisecond saying buy coke or buy popcorn and then had huge uplifts in these um, in these uh, items so Vance Packard took that on trust uh, wrote about it in his book and America was aghast you know this was middle of the cold war the idea that advertisers could be using psychology to manipulate consumers you know semi-mind control was horrifying and there was a backlash against the use of uh, psychology the the irony and then i think a lot of agencies stopped you know fell out of fashion they stopped these associations with uh, uh, famous psychologists the irony though was Vickery completely made that story up. He was just trying to promote his consultancy. There had never been any experiments done at this cinema. Uh, he later admitted uh, that he just made up the results. So psychology was unfairly tarnished, um, I think in one of the most popular books ever. And I think that led to it falling out of fashion. And it's only now where it's, you know, uh, I think becoming more and more commonly used by, by agencies. Early, early day example of fake news. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, this. I think this. Yeah, yeah. Always <laughs> been fake news. We just didn't have a, we didn't have the same term for it. Just called them what they were, lies. Yeah. yeah. Donald Trump hasn't been invented yet. Uh, so it's, it's. Um. I mean, from from there, you've you've now gone on to to quite successfully sort of. Uh, you've written a, a book which has uh, been very widely read and and well sold uh, all over the world. Um, and then that that I was that sort of the catalyst for you to be able to jump out and do things on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I uh, about I don't know, five or six years ago, uh, I moved agencies, went to um, Manning Gottlieb, where I ended up being head of their behavioural science department. Although the department was just me, so uh, <laughs> it was not as grand as it sounded. Um, and while I was there, I wrote. Choice Factory and luckily sold reasonably well and people started to uh, approach me asking would I um, take the ideas from the book and apply it to their, 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 their business. So the first kind of people that approached me were uh, Dennis Publishing, um, nice. Brewdog, uh, James Watt approached me from Brewdog and I started working with companies like that in my spare time and then once you know that those um 
offers become a, became more more regular, I decided to go part time to test out whether I could launch my own company, specialising in applying behavioural science to, to to marketing. And then after about six months, picked up enough clients to to, to go full time. No um, so we set up a company called Astro Ten, uh, and there's there's now two and a half of us. Uh, nice. Well, working on. Uh, sorry. Uh, well, uh, one person works half time. I thought so, you were going to say company dog or. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know you've, you've got an amazing cat as well, right? So. Uh, I have a cat and a dog. Luckily, uh, they are nowhere near because okay. they <laughs> they fight horrendously. <laughs> That's brilliant. And um, yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, as an aside, uh, do you need to finish at half past or? Yeah, uh, well, or, or reasonably close to half past, but not doesn't have to be on the dock. I'll try and maybe do sort of five more minutes and, and cool. wind it down and just sort of uh, uh, start again. So, um, yeah, what what are some of the what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced? How have you overcome them? And you know, particularly, I think when anyone's starting a business, it's always quite tough. Um, you know, were, were there things that that you thought would be easy, but actually are a little bit more difficult? Does that just go for everything? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's been smoother in many ways than I imagined. Nice. Um, the first lockdown was a nightmare. Uh, yeah. I can remember waking up each morning for the week before lockdown, and you know, <laughs> each 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 time I opened my phone, there was a list of projects that were getting cancelled. That was a little bit uh, hair raising, um, and it did you know that that. On one respect made me realize that there is a bit of a, a gamble setting up on your own you know yeah pretty much over that week every project i had in the pipeline cancelled wow. um so there's nothing looking like it was going to come in so that was looking like it was going to be a disaster and then when you start worrying about you know paying the mortgage and, and, and stuff like that it, you know, it is a little stressful but luckily that was a reasonably short period you know i think businesses went into they cut every bit of discretionary spend that they could but within a couple of weeks they were wanting advice on dealing with this new situation so it all came back quite quickly so it ended up quite well but that even though that was a very brief experience it certainly um, made me cautious about risk and what I've been trying to do over the you know, last couple of years is um, spread geographically so you feel like you're not beholden to the economic cycle of one particular country. Try and work with um, different uh, sectors, you know, little things like that. Um, or try and try and have different offerings. So talking at conferences, training, consultancy. Try and have a range of different things that you offer. So if one um, does badly, hopefully the other two can can take up the slack. Yeah. And those little approaches have been have been quite useful yeah and you've done some brilliant workshops i think as well um i know we we try and tell tell anyone who's taken a bagel economics course about them so um, how have those been yeah fine it was um like those are used to those face to face they've actually translated in onto zoom remarkably uh, easily uh, i think you know zoom you it's not it's never going to be as good as being face to face but it's it's not far off you can easily put people into little groups it's quite easy to adjust the content so it's a bit more in, interactive so uh yeah i think that that, that that's worked um that's well, worked quite well and then the, the big benefit of zoom i think has been this um internationalization of work yeah. uh that if you're based if you're a brand based in chicago it doesn't really make a huge difference if you hire a consultant in london or 
someone that's down the road in Chicago. You've got to deal with them over over Zoom. So there has been a silver lining to re remote working. I think it has opened up um, foreign markets much more easily to mm. um, consultants, behavioral science specialists. And in Britain, we have a phenomenal advantage in the uh, we've got the language advantage. Um, Plus, but of course, yeah. you know, whilst we have that advantage, I think that it will increase competition as well. So you know, we just need to take advantage of where we can. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, what happens with, you know, when companies realise that they can hire staff anywhere in the world, um, what happens to local salaries and, and everything else. But that, anyway, that's a whole other topic. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the, the other thing, I mean, I'm just... I know we're going to run run short of time now, but um, I mean, if, for those of you who don't follow Richard Shotton on Twitter, you need to get on Twitter immediately and search for him. It's just um, R Shotton, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's possibly the, the the Twitter account that pops up the most in my feed ever, <laughs> and I think part of the reason why is you're always sharing these incredible snippets from books. So it seems like you're kind of a true info for always reading something and uh, and sharing these amazing posts. So are there any kind of, I guess, to finish it off, a couple of other any tips or anything interesting that you've read recently that you tweeted that you just thought was absolutely brilliant? And are there any incredible books that we must read right now? Oh, okay. Uh, so incredible books. Um, I think the best one of the last year is probably, uh, maybe it's a little bit more than a year now, but Alchemy. By Rory Sullivan. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, anyone that's watched uh, a TED talk by uh, Rory or ever seen him speak knows what a character is, and that that comes out. That that kind of spirit comes out in the in the book. Um, it's a book around applying behavioural science to marketing, but his mind is unique, and I think he takes the same biases and ideas that uh, other writers might have touched on, but he's imagination is so wonderful he goes off in completely different directions uh, it's a book so good that it's actually the, you know the footnotes in the book uh, are better than most other books so yeah I think if I was going to recommend one thing it would be um, it would be it would be Alchemy by Rory Sutherland I think that's that's absolutely fantastic um, the other the other broad area I've got, I've got more and more interested in it, not read a particularly good book on the subject but I think it's a fascinating one um, is around the importance of humor and advertising yeah so, so i'm getting more interested in the there was some lovely data published i think by Cantar that showed over the last 20 years the number of ads that have aimed to make people laugh has dropped from about i don't know 60 percent down to about 40 percent this is this long-term decline and that is a i think a phenomenal shame because there's all sorts of evidence from different psychology experiments that if you make someone laugh, you make yourself far, far more memorable and you boost your, your status. So I think there's a danger that advertising is becoming a bit po-faced and forgetting about one of the most important uh, tools in their, their arsenal. Uh, so that's, that's an area I'm interested in. I think you know, at some stage I'm going to write Choice Factor 2. That's definitely going to be a chapter around the power of the power of humour and all the, the the psychology benefits that suggest it's something that advertisers should be doing more of.
Oh, I can't wait for Choice Factory 2. Yeah. <laughs> When's the date? Come on, there must be like some rough idea. This year? Well, <laughs> I've got to bloody write the thing first. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've got, like, I want to get roughly, I mean, I think it will follow a similar approach uh, with identifying interesting biases that have a marketing application. Yeah. I've identified, I think about 17 or 18. I want to get a few more. Uh, I've started running some experiments, but I haven't got quite enough. And then I think once, yeah, it'll take about, once I've got the ideas, it'll take about six months to write, I reckon. So we're probably, we're probably pu pushing it to 2022. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because then it takes another six months to get it published. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that either way. But look, thank you so, so much. Oh, not at all. Today. Well, very good to chat to you, Chris. Uh, but, um, yeah, so uh, write a book. Do lots of experiments if you want to get into uh, behavioral science and uh, and make people laugh more if you're uh, in advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks so, so much. Um, Brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews from some of the world's greatest and most interesting minds. In the meantime, you can find more nuggets of wisdom by following us on Instagram and Twitter at 42courses or check out our website 42courses.com to browse all our courses we offer. Have a marvellous week and chat again soon.